And go in your Bible to the book of Psalms, Psalm 138. Vamos a ir en nuestra Biblia al Salmo 138. We'll be reading those verses of Scripture tonight, leyendo estos versículos de la Palabra del Señor esta noche. Salmo 138. The, uh, you, you guys know when I preach or teach out of the book of the Bible, I'll try to give you a little bit of the history. And the book of Psalms is a, uh, is a song book. It's the hymnal of the nation of Israel. El libro de los Salmos es el himnario de la nación de Israel. Now, we don't use hymnals as much anymore, uh, but because we have these wonderful uh, technological screens that give us the lyrics to songs. Uh, but Before that was available, the church would publish a book that had all the songs in it. And the book of Psalms is the original of those books. It was a book that was written uh, to uh, chronicle and, and uh, preserve, archive as it were, the songs, the worship hymns of the nation of Israel. And so that's why they have a particular structure, they have a particular style. In fact, there are five books within the book of Psalm. And if you're reading through the Psalms, sometimes you'll see it'll say the second book, the third book, and so on, because there are five books that make up this book of the Bible. It has 150 songs in it. El libro de Salmos es el himnario original de la nación de Israel y tiene, uh, son cinco libros, este libro de Salmos, y tiene 150 himnos. Entonces cuando leemos y vemos la estructura de los salmos Es distinta a lo demás de la palabra de Dios porque son himnos So the structure is different than the rest of the Bible if you've noticed um, And the reason is that these are songs We're not entirely sure how all of them are sung Some people have guessed at it in the past But the point is that the songs were written in such a way That they would communicate truth about God through the lyrics la verdad de Dios era comunicada a través de la, la lírica de estos himnos. And what's interesting about the Psalms is that they're not all happy. They're not all clap your hands, dance around type of songs. Some of them are very sad. Uh, because we're not always up on the mountaintop, are we? Sometimes we're down the valley. And so they had songs that reminded them of God's presence even in the low moments. One of those psalms is Psalm 13 where David says, How long, O God, will you forget me forever? And that just tells you about how David was feeling right there in that moment. How long, O God, are you going to forget about me? And, and then, but the end of the psalm, he says, I will praise the Lord for he has done me good. So the, the psalms take us all through the life of the believer. Los salmos nos llevan momentos de amargura, momentos de... Uh, tristeza, también momentos de gozo uh, Y nos, nos enseña que la vida del creyente Aunque no siempre está en los momentos altos Siempre puede tener la presencia de Dios And so the, the bottom line there is that Although Christian life, Christian experience Is not always the high point God is always present uh, In fact, on the cross Jesus quoted Psalm 21 Now, in la cruz, Jesús citó un salmo. Some scholars believe he may have actually 
quoted the entire psalm, which is quite long, or he may have sung it even. And that psalm says, my God, my God, how, uh, uh, why have you forsaken me? El Salmo dice, Dios mío, Dios mío, ¿por qué me has desamparado? So even at the most bitter moment of the cross, Jesus turns to this book. And tonight I want us to look at one of the Psalms of David because in it there's an expression that I want you to take to heart. And I want to use just as a, as a subject tonight, a convictions, convictions, vamos a hablar esta noche de convicciones, convictions for spiritual success. Convicciones para el éxito espiritual. How many of you want to have spiritual success? You know, if you have success in your physical life, and if you have success in your material well-being, but you don't have spiritual success, when your life's over, you have failed. Spiritual success is most important. Uh, el éxito espiritual es lo más importante. Usted tiene éxito espiritual, uh, ha tenido éxito en todo. Si tiene éxito material y físico, pero no espiritual, entonces ha fracasado en todo cuando llegue a la eternidad. We're going to begin tonight, we're going to kind of study this, uh, we're going to start at the end and then go back to the beginning, all right? So go to verse 8. Vamos a ir al verso 8 de este Salmo. And the psalmist makes this declaration, this is his conviction. He says, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of your hand. Dice el salmista ahí, Jehová cumplirá lo que me concierne a mí. Y sobre esa frase quiero comenzar esta noche. I want to begin on that phrase, and I want you to say this with me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the power of your word, which is living and able to change our lives. And I ask tonight that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. I ask also for the unction of the Spirit to be upon the hearer tonight, that as they hear the word, they might be able to sort it out by the Spirit and put it into the proper place in their life and heart. We ask that in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Now the psalmist ends this psalm by saying, the Lord will accomplish the things that concern me. How many of you believe that tonight? Is that one of your convictions? ¿Cuántos tenemos esa convicción que Dios va a cumplir lo que nos concierne a nosotros? If you don't have that conviction tonight, I want to help you to get that conviction. Si usted no tiene esa convicción, quiero que usted adopte esa convicción que Dios va a cumplir lo que nos concierne now there's two ways that we need to understand this. Hay dos formas que tenemos que entender esto. First of all, that word concern, you and I know it as things we worry about, right? Uh, esa palabra concierne a veces la usamos para describir cosas de la cual tenemos preocupaciones. Podríamos decir uh, lo que me preocupa a mí, the things that concern me. So are there any things in your life that concern you? Raise your hand if you have some concerns. Yeah, if you, are, um, if you are living and breathing in America where you have to have a job and pay taxes and raise children and send them off to school and pay for college, all those things, you have concerns. 
we have health concerns. We have uh, emotional concerns. We have uh, financial concerns. Tenemos uh, uh, preocupaciones físicas, emocionales, financieras, espirituales. Y esta frase nos da a entender que Dios se va a encargar de todo lo que nos preocupa. That God, this verse lets us know, it assures us that God is going to accomplish whatever it is that we're worrying about. That God is going to take care of the things in our life that we are concerned about. And so it is a, a phrase that conveys the assurance of the fact that God is in control. Es una frase que implica el hecho de que Dios está en control. Tell your neighbor, God has it. All right, that's an important phrase for you tonight because maybe you're thinking, well, the doctor just told me I'm sick. God's got it. Or maybe you think they're going to lay you off at work. God's got it. God has it under control. Esto implica que Dios está en control y que Dios tiene control. Que nuestra vida no es el resultado de cosas que ocurre, ocurren fuera del control de Dios, sino que lo que Él uh, pone en nuestra vida es para nuestro bien. Now, the other way we need to look at this verse is that uh, the, 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 the word concern in the Hebrew also implies uh, like a fence around you. También esa palabra en el hebreo indica como una cerca alrededor. And it says that God will basically fill in all the gaps in the fence around you. Significa que Dios va a cerrar la cerca alrededor de ti. Si hay agujeros, si hay lugares de debilidad en esa cerca o ese muro de protección, Dios dice, yo voy a cumplir. God says, if there are some holes in the fence around you, there's some holes in the wall around you, I'm going to fill in the gaps. Say amen, somebody. I'm going to fill in all the gaps around you. That ought to put a smile on your face. Because not only has God got it, but he's got, he's got you all the way around. No solamente Dios está en control, pero si no, Él está en control todo alrededor de tu vida. So tell him tonight, Lord, fill the gaps. You know, you need God to fill the gaps in your life. Usted necesita a Dios que llene los huecos que hay en su vida. You know, you've heard about that little boy that found a, a, uh, a hole in the dam, so he put his finger in there. He was holding back that water, but then there was another hole. And then another hole. And before long, you run out of fingers and toes to fill the gaps. You got to have God to fill in the gaps. And he says, I'm going to fill the gaps that concern you. Él dice, yo voy a llenar los huecos que están alrededor de tu vida. Now, the third way we can see this verse is that God says, I'm going to do, I'm going to fulfill the purpose I have for you. La tercera forma que vemos este verso es que Dios dice, yo voy a cumplir el propósito que yo tengo para ti. And that is important for us uh, tonight to understand and have a conviction about this fact that God doesn't start projects and leave them unfinished. Que Dios no comienza proyectos y los deja sin terminar, sino que Dios termina lo que Él comienza. God finishes what He begins. And what He began in your life, He's going to finish. Lo que Él empezó en tu vida, Él lo va a terminar. He told Jacob, the patriarch, he said, I will not let you go until 
I have done everything that I have spoken to you. Le dijo a Jacob el patriarca, no te voy a dejar hasta que yo haya hecho todo lo que yo te prometí hacer. So God's not going to let go of you or me until he has done everything he promised. Dios no va a dejarnos, no nos va a dejar hasta que haga cumplido todo lo que Él nos prometió. And let me just give you a little warning. If you, do, if you wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know what, God, I'm out, I'm done. You go your way, I'll go mine. Uh, forget about your promises, I don't really care. I decided to backslide this morning. You're not going to get God off of your life, all right. He said, I will not let you go until I have done everything that you promised. He didn't say, you won't let me go. You can let him go if you want. But when you're in God's hand, you're in God's hand. God always gets his man. Say amen, somebody. God always gets the woman he's after. If he lays hands on you, you're done. You're his. And he says, my purpose for you is going to be fulfilled. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. God says, it's faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. Dice, Primera Tesalonicenses, capítulo 5, verso 23, 24, perdón. Fiel es el que te llamó, y él lo cumplirá. I want you to put, I want you to put uh, your name in there, all right? When I get to the word uh, you, I want you to put your name in there. So when I read it, I read it like this. Faithful is he who called Isaac. All right, so put your name in it. Now, faithful is he who called. Okay, let's try that again. There was about five of you that got it. Faithful is he who called. All right, guess what? God says, I'm faithful to you. And I will bring about my calling in your life. Fiel es el que llamó y fiel es el que va a terminar la obra en tu vida. And then Philippians chapter 1 Verse 6, luego Filipenses capítulo 1, verso 6, dice, uh, the apostle speaks confidently saying, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Filipenses 1, 6, dice, Estoy confiado en esta cosa, que el que empezó la buena obra en ti, la perfeccionará hasta el día de Cristo Jesús. Now, notice a few key words there. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began the good work. What kind of work is God doing in your life? It's a good work. ¿Qué clase de trabajo está Dios haciendo en tu vida? Es un buen trabajo. Dios está haciendo, Dios ha comenzado una buena obra en tu vida. God has begun a good work in your life. Dios ha empezado una buena obra en tu vida. And, and then notice the other key word. He began the good work and you will perfect it. Dice que lo perfeccionará. God's not just going to get it done so-so. Passerby. He's going to perfect the work that he began in you. Dios está para perfeccionar la obra que hay en ti. This is why God corrects us. And chastens us and disciplines us and gets our attention and says, "Ah, uh-uh, don't respond like that. Take that back. Go, re- go apologize. He said, but Lord, it was their fault. Why? Because he's perfecting the work. 
Es por eso que Dios nos corrige, nos llama la atención, nos, nos, uh, nos encierra a veces para que no hablemos más que lo debido. ¿Por qué? Porque Él está perfeccionando una obra. And if you've ever perfected something, you know that you come back to it over and over again. El perfeccionar algo significa que regresamos a ello vez tras vez para perfeccionarlo. Así también Dios perfecciona la obra que está haciendo en nosotros. So God is perfecting the work that he's doing in you. So don't expect to just hear from him once a month for a status report. He's going to be on us every day, every morning, every afternoon, every evening. Because he's perfecting the work that he's doing in, in you and in I. So tell him tonight, Lord, perfect the work that you're doing in me. Now God says now he's going to perfect that work until the day of Christ Jesus. That means that God's not done until Jesus returns. Dios no ha terminado hasta que Jesús vuelva. And so tonight, we have this assurance. God says, I began something in you. And it's a good thing. And I'm going to perfect that thing. And it's going to be for the long haul. It's a long-term thing. Dios dice, yo he comenzado algo en ti. Es algo bueno. Y es algo para largo plazo. Y yo voy a terminar la obra que yo comencé so there are seven convictions in this psalm that I want us to look at tonight that are important for spiritual success. Hay siete convicciones aquí en este salmo que vamos a ver esta noche para poder ver el terminar de este trabajo que Dios está haciendo en nuestra vida. If you believe tonight that God is going to get it done, and that God is going to perfect this work in you, there are seven convictions you and I have to cultivate in our heart. Para ver que Dios termine todo lo que Él ha hecho y poder caminar bajo la convicción que Dios va a hacer lo que Él dijo, tenemos que tener estas siete convicciones. So I want you to go back to verse 1. We're in Psalm 138 and verse 1. And if you have a pen or a, a highlighter, there's going to be a few things there you can... You can mark. First verse, it says, I will give thanks to God with all my heart, and I will sing praises to you before the gods. Here we see the psalmist gives us the first conviction that you and I must carry if we're going to have spiritual success. And that is the conviction that there is no God beside the Lord. La primer convicción que usted y yo tenemos que tener, aquí está el Salmo verso uh, que hemos leído, el verso 1. Dice el salmista, yo cantaré a Jehová ante de todos los dioses. The psalmist says, I will give thanks with all my heart and sing praises to you before the gods. David says, before I sing to any other god, before I worship, any other God, before I honor any other God, I will honor the Lord. Antes de darle adoración o loor o alabanza a otro Dios, yo le voy a alabar a Dios. This is the first commandment that God gave the nation of Israel. Ese es el primer mandamiento que Dios le dio a la nación de Israel. He said to them, you shall have no other God 
before me. Les dijo, no tendrás a otro Dios antes de mí. And, and you see there that there is a, the word God which is with a little g, right? Ahí vemos que la palabra Dios tiene una uh, minúscula. What does that mean? It means that he's referring to uh, gods that are not God. Está refiriendo a dioses que no son dioses. You know there are, in America, there are a lot of gods that are not God. Uh, there are many things that would claim our attention. And really think of any, really a false God is anything in our life that we give the attention that we ought to give to God. You can make a false God out of just about anything. Se puede hacer un Dios falso de cualquier cosa. Es todo lo que el hombre ponga antes de Dios. It's anything man puts in front of God. And there are some obvious things like, you know, a statue of a saint or of, a, of an idol of, a, of another god or a Buddha or, or Mary or so on. That's an obvious um, incident. Hay a veces cosas obvias como una estatua de un santo o de un Buddha que son dioses ajenos. But you know, some people put uh, their, their loved ones in the place of God. Algunos ponen a sus seres queridos en el lugar de Dios. There's some people who put their wife or their husband in the place of God or their children in the place of God. Algunos ponen sus hijos en el lugar de Dios. O ponen su carro. Some people put their car in the place of God. Uh, ponen su, su uh, motocicleta en el lugar de Dios. Some people put their motorcycle in the place of God. You say, Pastor, I don't have a bike. I don't have a car. You might be like me. I love books. And if I'm not careful, I might put my books in the place of God. Say, don't touch my books. Don't even look at them. Right? I, I, you got to be careful what you love. Because the heart has a bent toward idolatry. El corazón del hombre tiene una... una uh, Auría hacia la idolatría. Y si no tenemos cuidado, el amor del hombre se va hacia las cosas que no son Dios. If we're not careful, we give things God's status in our life. Now, does God want you to, to love your wife? Yes. Does he want you to love your husband? Yes. Does he want you to love your children? Absolutely. Does he want you to have a nice car? Sure. Does he want you to have a nice collection of books? Absolutely. Does he want you to, does he want you to make good money? Sure. But does he want any of those things before him? No. In fact, he is dead set against it. And when you raise up an idol in your life, you're basically inviting God to oppose you. Si usted levanta un ídolo en su vida, usted está invitando que Dios lo se ponga opuesto a usted. God is looking for us to have a single heart, a single mind toward him. Dios está buscando que tengamos un corazón no dividido, sino solamente hacia él. The Bible calls it an undivided heart. La Biblia lo llama un corazón sin división. A heart that is fixed on God. Un corazón que está uh, pegado hacia Dios, clavado hacia Dios. Undivided. It's not a little for God and a little for something else. It is a love that is complete and total toward God. Es un amor que es completo para Dios. And let me just promise you this. When you honor God first, 
everything else works out. Si usted honra a Dios y lo pone primero, lo demás va a salir bien. But if you put God last, or second, or third, or fourth, nothing's going to work out. Si usted tiene a Dios en segundo o tercer lugar, nada va a salir bien. Porque Dios de, de, uh, demanda el primer lugar. God demands first place. Say that with me. God demands first place. He says this, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. I mean, seek to know God and to be like him. And all of these other things will be added unto you. They'll be the, they'll be the bonus. Dice, busca primeramente el reino de Dios y su justicia. Y todo lo demás vendrá por añadidura vendrá como un bonus así sin usted tener que pagar o trabajar por ello you won't have to work for it or, or earn it God says if you put me first I'll give you the rest of the blessings but you've got to have him in first place tienes que, tienes que tenerlo a él en primer lugar he says in another place I will not share my glory with anyone Jesús dice Dios dice yo no voy a compartir mi gloria con nadie más. What is God saying? God saying, I'm not going to share my glory, my fame, my praise with your truck. Or with your money. Or with your new clothes. I'm not going to share the pedestal with anything else. Dios dice, yo no voy a compartir mi gloria, mi, fa mi fama con nadie más. Con, ni con tu troca o tu carro o tu uh, novia o tus libros o tu ropa nueva. No voy a compartir mi gloria con nada de eso. I'm not going to share my glory with any of that. If you guys were ever part of a, a birthday party where they had, you know, they celebrated more than one person at the same time. And you all had to share the same cake. God wouldn't have gone to that party. God says, if you're going to have me a party, I'm going to have the whole cake. I'm not going to share my glory with anybody else. Because the moment you share God's glory with something else, you have brought him down. You've dishonored him. And so this is the first conviction. The psalmist says, I'm going to thank God and I'm going to worship God above all other gods. No one else is going to get my song. No one else is going to get my worship. No one else is going to get my tears. No one else is going to get my praise. No one else is going to get my lifted hands. This belongs to God and to God only. Say amen, somebody. Amen. All right, now the second conviction. La segunda convicción. Aquí continuamos. Uh, verse 2. I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. If you want to underline their loving kindness and truth. This is the second conviction for spiritual success. And that is a conviction about the, the, the love and truth of God. Uh, la segunda convicción que tenemos que tener para tener éxito en la vida espiritual es la convicción de el amor y la verdad de Dios. Listen, friends, if you want to have long-term spiritual success, you need to know the love of God. And you need to know the truth of God. 
and be convinced and convicted of this fact. God loves me. That needs to be a conviction in your heart that God loves you. Usted tiene que tener esa convicción. Dios me ama y me ama a mí. That God is love and that God loves me. Why is that so important, Pastor? Because the Bible says that faith works through love. Book of Galatians says that. Dice la Escritura que la fe trabaja por el amor. Entonces, uh, la persona que no conoce el amor de Dios, no activa su fe. So people that don't know and realize, have a revelation really of the love of God, don't really act in faith. They work in fear. They have a, a relationship with God that is fear-based. They see God walking around with a big stick, just waiting to smack them if they mess up. But the fact is that faith operates in love. When I realize that God loves me, my heart is open up to believing his word. My heart is open up to believing what he has promised for my life. And so it's no, it's no uh, surprise then that the enemy tries to introduce religion. Because religion tells you that God is mad at you, that God um, hates you, that you can hardly get approval from God, that God is nothing but a bunch of bureaucratic red tape, that you're never going to get his support. But the fact is the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave. What did he do? He gave. He didn't give a system. He didn't give a religion. He didn't give an idea. He didn't give an institution. What did he give? He gave us a son. He gave us his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe or have faith in him would have everlasting life. So you got to walk around with this conviction of God's love. Now, some of us, if you grew up in a church that taught you God is mad at you, they taught you religion, you have to get reprogrammed. It takes a little while sometimes to realize that, that there is a loving God who loves you, who cares about you. Now, when you think about the love of God, there's three things I want you to note real quick. First of all is that being loved by God means that you are the object of divine affection. El ser amado por Dios significa que somos el objeto de afección divina. The way that uh, a parent loves their child or a man loves his wife, so God has demonstrated his affection toward us. La forma que el hombre ama a su esposa o que los padres aman a sus hijos, así Dios ha amado. Nos ha amado a nosotros. And the Bible teaches us that God's love is, is a love that comes uninfluenced. That means God doesn't love you because of what you've done. He doesn't love you because you did good things. Dios no te ama por lo que has hecho. Has hecho buenas cosas, obras de caridad. Dios te ama. God doesn't love you more when you do good works and less when you don't. Dios no ama más cuando haces buenas cosas y menos cuando no las haces. Él ama sin ninguna influencia externa. He loves with no external influence. He loves simply as an aspect and, and fact of his nature. Él ama simplemente del la, de la hecho de su naturaleza. And so sometimes the enemy will try to tell you, well, God must not love you anymore. You're in the you're on God's bad side. God's against you. You got to know this. God loves me. 
I am the object of divine affection. Somos el objeto de amor divino. What does that mean? The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord said, I have set my love upon you. Jeremías nos dice, Dios hablando, yo he puesto mi amor, mi afección sobre ti. Second thing is that this makes us the object of divine friendship. Segundo es que el amor de Dios nos hace el objeto de amistad divina. Not only are we loved by God as, a, uh, as an aspect of his affection, but we have been called to be friends with God. Es el hecho de ser llamado ser amigo de Dios. I don't know if you know this or not, but every person in this room can be a friend of God. The fact that God loves you means he wants to be your friend. He wants you to befriend him. And he wants you to be befriended by him. Dios quiere amistad con nosotros. This is a, an extraordinary thought. But the Bible tells us that our father, spiritual father in the faith, Abraham, that God said of Abraham, he is my friend. And that's what God wants to say about each one of our lives. That we are in friendship with God. Que somos uh, amigos de Dios. Que tenemos amistad con Dios. Listen, friend. The Bible said this. That to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. But when you become a friend of God, you become an enemy of sin. You become an enemy of the flesh. He changes your nature, your appetites, and your desire. And so to, be, uh, to, to walk under the conviction of God's love means we walk under this assurance. God is, God loves me and he wants to be my friend. And that means that if you really want to be someone's friend, cuando usted quiere ser amigo de alguien, that means that if something gets between you, what do you do about it? If, if something gets between you and another friend, you go talk about it, don't you? And if you did wrong, you repent for it. And if, if you did, if you uh, forgot them at a moment when they were, you were supposed to have remembered them, you, you, you apologize. That's what it means to be a friend. God says, look, because I want to be your friend, I'm not willing to let anything stand between us. When you sin, if you will confess your sin, I'll forgive it and I'll forget it. And I want us to move on because I want you to stand before me clean, pure. Now, it's easy to have the first conviction. God is God, there's nobody beside him. But a lot of people struggle with this second conviction, that God loves them and that God wants them to be their friend. But that's the truth of Scripture. And so tomorrow morning, I want you to wake up knowing that. Let that be your conviction. God loves me. And God wants me to be his friend. And in order to be a friend of God, I need to talk to him. I need to fellowship with him. And while I talk to him in fellowship with him, I'm going to become like him. Because all of us become like our friends. And the more you spend time with God, the more like him you're going to become. He's going to change the way you think, the way you act, the way you live. Because he is uh, he's rubbing off on you. He's putting his nature into and onto your life. Right Now the third conviction is right there in that same verse. It says in verse 3 that God has magnified his word above his name. Dice ahí en el verso 3, 
la segunda convicción que Dios ha magnificado su palabra aún mayor que su nombre. This is the third conviction. It is a conviction about the truth of God's word. Esta es la tercera convicción. Es una convicción sobre la verdad de la palabra de Dios. I would just ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer me out loud. I just want you to answer, answer in your mind. What do you believe about the Bible? ¿Qué cree usted de la palabra de Dios? Do you believe it's a collection of myths and fairy tales? Or do you believe that it is a, a historical book that has the same value as other historical books? What do you believe? Not what does Pastor Isaac believe. I know what I believe about the Bible. But what I believe about the Bible is not necessarily what you believe about the Bible. The answer is what's your conviction? The question is what's your conviction about the Word of God? This book that we carry around, that we read from, that we reference. What is your conviction about the Word of God? I can guarantee you that your life is going to rise or fall, your spiritual success will rise or fall based upon what you believe about this book. If you believe this book is only good enough for Sunday morning, your life's going to show it. I, I ran out of amens. If you believe this book is only good for when you need a special interference from God, then your life's going to show it. If you have the conviction that all of the answers for my life come from this book, your life's going to show it. Si usted tiene la convicción que este libro solamente vale para el domingo, su vida lo va a enseñar. Y si usted tiene la convicción que este libro tiene todas las respuestas para su vida, también su vida lo va a enseñar. And you know, I'll be able to know, you can tell what someone's conviction is about the Bible based upon how they treat it. Usted va a saber la convicción de alguien conforme este libro, dependiendo de cómo lo tratan. And I don't mean that you leave it on your dashboard and it bakes in the sun all day long. I don't mean that. I mean, when you get in trouble, do you go to your, to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your neighbor, or do you go to the book? When you get into, into fix, do you go to the Word of God? Do you realize the answer's in here? ¿Cuál es la forma que usted trata este libro? Cuando usted entra a un problema, va con los amigos, con las amistades o con el libro. Do you go check your horoscope or do you go check the word? ¿Va a ver lo que dice el, el periódico sobre las estrellas o va a ver qué dice la palabra de Dios? Say amen, somebody. You got to know, what do I believe about this book? Well, here's, here's what we believe and teach as a church. We believe that the Bible is inspired and authoritative. Creemos como iglesia que la Biblia es inspirada y tiene autoridad. When the psalmist says that God has placed his word up above his name, he's saying that God has made his word so holy that if, you were to, if he were to fail his word, you could... You could you could stop praying in his name. He wants you to know that his word is his bond. That what he says is his final word. And so as a church, we have this conviction. God's word is inspired. From Genesis to the book of Revelation. I like to say from Genesis to the maps. 
but some Bibles don't have maps, okay? But from Genesis to Revelation, God inspired the words of the Bible. And that's what I believe. The Bible says in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture, not some Scripture, not the Scriptures I like, not the verses that suit me, but all Scripture is inspired by God. Dice la Escritura, según el Timoteo 3, 16, que toda la Escritura, no solamente la, la que me conviene, lo que, lo que me gusta, lo que a mí me, me uh, cae bien, sino toda la Escritura es inspirada por Dios. Y es de provecho. It is inspired and profitable. So, you know, some people like the Bible when it talks about God's going to bless me, God's going to heal me, God's going to deliver me. But they don't like those verses that say when God says that you shouldn't sleep with someone you're not married to, that men shouldn't marry men and women shouldn't marry women. They don't like the Bible right there. They say, okay, we can cut that out. That part's old-fashioned. It's not inspired. It's no longer true. Guess what? If one is true, it's all true. And God's word he says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed by God. Toda la escritura es inspirada por Dios. Es el resultado de Dios uh, uh, dar vida a su, a su palabra a través de los hombres que la escribieron. We also believe the Bible is authoritative. También creemos que la Biblia es la autoridad. What does that mean? That when we want to know how to live, the Bible is the authority. We want to know how to pray. The Bible is the authority. We want to know how to give. The Bible is the authority. We want to know how to get married. Who to marry. The Bible is the authority. If you want to know anything about life, the Bible is the authority. La Biblia es la autoridad de el creyente. Y si usted quiere saber cómo vivir, uh, con quién casarse, uh, uh, cuánto dar, cómo diezmar, todo eso, la Biblia es la autoridad. And so if you're going to have, in your life, you're going to have a preacher or a pastor or a teacher, you better be sure that they believe the Bible is the authority. Some preachers put themselves above, above the Bible. And they put their opinion above the Bible. I don't want you to ever, ever believe that guy. I want you to believe somebody that says the Bible is the final word of God. Why? Because I can get it wrong, but God hasn't gotten it wrong. Say amen, somebody. You can get it wrong, but God hasn't gotten it wrong. So the Bible is the authority because it is inspired by God. Not only that, but we believe that the Bible is living and active. También creemos que la Biblia es viva y que es activa. What does that mean? That means that the Bible has life in it. It's got life and it's got activity in it so that when you get the word of God in you, it's not the same as when you get Shakespeare in you. When you go read Shakespeare, you're going to leave Shakespeare just like you met him. But when you go read the Bible, you're not going to leave the same. The Bible's going to have an imp impact, an effect on your life. Say amen, somebody. La Biblia va a tener un impacto en tu vida. It's going to have a changing impact in your life. That's why the devil doesn't want you to get the word. He don't want your children to get the word. And let me just say this, you're responsible for getting the word of God in your children. Los padres son responsables por poner la palabra de Dios en sus hijos. And why? Because this word 
is living and powerful. And it's going to do things that you can't do. It's like a seed. That seed of the word falls into the soil of somebody's heart. And they get up thinking, nothing changed. That was a good sermon. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was funny. It was exciting. It blessed me. But they'll realize that that seed is going to start growing. It's going to start giving fruit. It's going to start producing in that life. So parents, don't give up. If you put the word in your children, just wait on the word. Because the word of God will bring its powerful, fruitful effect into their life. Say amen, somebody. And that word is living and it's active. The Bible said it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to cut. It's able to divide between the soul and the spirit. Spirit is between the bone and the marrow. God's word can cut right through you. Listen, we all know this, don't we? The word of God gets right to the point. The word of God gets right to the issue. The preacher doesn't know the issue. But the word of God gets in there and touches the issue. And we leave feeling, how did he know that? He didn't know. The spirit knows. And the word knows how to get where nobody's gone before. And it cuts on the way in and it heals on the way out. The word of God is the scalpel of the Holy Spirit. La, la palabra de Dios es el cuchillo del Espíritu Santo que va como un cirujano y cuando entra corta y cuando sale sana. And that's why you and I need to get in the Word because the Word will get in there and cut out the junk. It will cut out the, the, the gangrene and the rot and the, and the, uh, and the uh, death and the disease and it will heal at the same time. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. David had this conviction about the word of God. David tenía esta convicción sobre la palabra de Dios. One more thing I'll mention here is that the word of God is light and it is life. La palabra de Dios también es luz y vida. Psalm 119 verse 105 says the the Thy word is a lamp, it's a light to my feet. And Psalm 119 verse 130 says, The entrance of the word gives light. When the word comes into your heart, it illuminates. It, it brings light to the darkness, the darkened part. La palabra cuando entra trae iluminación. In another place, John chapter 6 verse 63, Jesus said this, The word that I speak are spirit and they are life. Jesús en Juan 6, 63, dijo, Las palabras que yo hablo son espíritu y son vida. There's a difference between hearing a politician speak and hearing the word of God, isn't there? There's a difference between hearing somebody acting on a stage or in a movie and hearing the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is spiritual. And it brings life. When the word of God comes into you, it will, it will bring illumination. It will put the darkness out. And it will bring life. It will strengthen you. It will encourage you. It will build you up. So you have to have a conviction about the truth of the word of God. We are a church that believes the Bible. This is our textbook. 
I said, this is our textbook. Every time we preach in this church, we preach from the Bible. I don't tell you about philosophy and Socrates and Plato and all of those guys. I don't tell you about uh, psychology and Freud and all of his ideas. I tell you what thus saith the Lord. Why? Because you, you can read those guys all day long and get confused and get lost. If you read the word of God, it's going to bring light. All right, the fourth conviction is this, that God answers prayer. Say that with me. God answers prayer. Listen to what the king, what, this, uh, what the psalmist says here in verse 4. He says, all the kings of the earth, pardon me, verse 3, on that day I called and you answered me and you made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth. Now notice there, this conviction that the psalmist has. He says, on that day, I called and you answered. How many of you have a conviction about this, that God answers prayer? Now, some people think like this, God answers prayer sometimes. God answers prayer if you pray in the right way. Check all the marks. But I want you to have this conviction. God answers prayer. Esta es la cuarta convicción. Dios responde a la oración. Now, if you're asking yourself, why isn't God moving in my life? You need to ask yourself, am I praying? Am I asking God to move in my life? Because when you pray, you're authorizing God to move in your life. Everything God does in my life, in your life, he does as an answer to prayer. Why? Because if, if God just does it, we'll say, well, I was lucky. I got a good break. But when you pray specifically, you say, Lord, I'm asking you to do these things in my life. And you watch those things get done in your life. You can't do anything but say, glory be to God. God gets the praise. God gets the glory. You've got to have this conviction. God hears me. Say that with me. God hears me. That's why the psalmist said, I will put my hand over my mouth. Because God doesn't just hear you when you're praying. He hears all that you're saying. Now, I, here's, just I want to put this in your heart about what God says concerning this. Psalm 34, verse 15. It says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Dice el Salmo 34, verso 15, que los ojos de Jehová están sobre los justos y su oído abierto a su clamor. So why can I say that God answers prayer? Because the Bible said that God's ear is open to my cry. El, el oído de Dios está abierto a tu clamor. In the book of Exodus, he told Moses concerning the nation of Israel, he said, go and tell them that I have seen their afflictions, and I have heard their cry. I have heard them. I have, when you pray, God hears. Uh, it's a miracle. Prayer is a miracle. Because there are millions of people around the world praying. There are billions, perhaps, calling out. And by the time it gets into heaven, it's all sorted out. God knows who, heard, who he heard. Your prayer and my prayer can go up at the same time, and he hears us both without getting the lines crossed. 
It's a miracle. It is a beautiful, extraordinary gift that Jesus gave to us. The access that you and I have to God through prayer is a privilege that the church very seldom enjoys, that the church very seldom uh, uh, takes part in. It's why it worries me when we make an altar call and people don't come to the altar. Because I want you to be a people who know that God answers prayer and that God gets involved in our life when we call upon Him, when we call out to Him. Quiero que seamos un pueblo lleno de esta convicción que Dios oye nuestras oraciones y que Él responde cuando oramos. Now, notice this next verse. This is in Psalm 139, verse 4. Salmo 139, verso 4. It says, even before the word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it. Now, God, only not, only, God not only hears spoken prayers, but God hears your thoughts. Dios no solamente oye oraciones que hablamos, sino también oye nuestros pensamientos. Dice, antes aún... Que la oración esté en mi boca, tú ya la conoces. So listen, God not only hears the prayers you pray out loud, but he hears the prayers of your heart. Dios oye también las oraciones de tu corazón. He knows the desires of your heart. Él conoce los deseos de tu corazón. Has God ever surprised you with things and you just said, I, I, I just thought about it. I didn't even ask. I didn't, I didn't put in an re official request. I didn't say amen even. I just thought about it. But when you're God's child, you are, you're, God is listening in on your thoughts. So cultivate those thoughts as prayers before God. Now this one, this one blows my mind. This is in, in uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. Aquí en Malaquías 3, 16, uno más. This one is extraordinary to me because it says, uh, I know it's going to take you a moment to find Malachi. It's, it's the last book in your Old Testament. Malachi 3, 16. It says, then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. Listen. Those who fear the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it. Think about that. When you have a conversation with somebody else about God, and you're not even praying, you're just saying, you know what, I believe the Lord is going to heal you. I believe God's going to deliver. I believe God's going to provide. God is eavesdropping on your conversation. And he says he not only hears it, uh, but not only does he notice it, but he hears it. He answers prayer even in the conversations of the saints. Say amen, somebody. Guys, you need to have good conversations. Well, I don't know if it's going to work out. I hope it does. Well, we'll see. No, you got to have those conversations that say, I know what God has spoken. I know what God has promised. God is able. Even husbands and wives, when you're laying your head on your pillow and you're talking to one another, God is eavesdropping. And God says, I heard you. I heard your prayers. 
he heard you and you say, you know what, I would like to take the kids out for uh, summer vacation. I heard, he heard you when you say, you know what, I, I need to get some new tires on the car. You haven't even prayed it yet. You haven't even put an amen on it. You haven't licked the stamp yet. You haven't put it in the mailbox. God says, I already got the message. Come on, does anybody have a conviction tonight that God answers prayer? I mean, you know that you know that you know that God answers prayer. That God gets the message. Listen, God not only can hear un unspoken prayers, and he not only eavesdrop on your conversations, but even your tears. He, he reads tears. And the Bible said that the Spirit of God, when we pray, the Spirit of God prays through us even with groanings. Too difficult for words. You might, all, all you might have been able to do one day was go, oh, and God understood your groan. He understood the desire and the need of your life. Now, I don't have time to finish the other four. We'll get to them next time, the other three. But I want to end here tonight by challenging you to have a conviction about this fact. God's word is true. God answers prayer. Look at what the psalmist says here. Before I, I close, I want you to notice this. The psalmist says, on the day I called, God's answer is timely. When? On the day I called. And then he says, not only is it a timely answer, but he says, on the day I called, you answered me, and you made me bold with strength in my soul. God's answer is timely, and God's answer is spiritual. When you pray, God says, I'm going to give you strength in your inner man. I'm going to give you spiritual answers. Cuando usted ora, Dios dice, eh, dice el salmista, en el día que oré, Dios me escuchó y me dio fuerza en mi alma. ¿Cuántos necesitan fuerza en su alma esta noche? How many of you need strength in your soul tonight? God says, I want to give you a spiritual answer. You see, because if God meets all of the physical needs in your life, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But he says there's more than that. I want to meet the spiritual need of your life. I want to give you a spiritual answer. I want to give you water for your spirit. I want to give you bread for your inner man. So that you can have strength in your soul. So that when your outer man is decaying, your inner man is growing stronger. Because you have the strength of God in your soul. So I want to invite you to stand with me tonight. And all over this room, I want you just to lift your hands and begin to pray. Just ask God to give you strength in your soul. To give you the answer, the spiritual answer that you need. Maybe you need a job, maybe you need a car, maybe you need financial provision. But there's more than that tonight. God says, 
before all of that, I want you to have strength in your inner man. Strength in your spirit. I want you to walk with me as a friend. To know me. To know my voice. Come on, lift up your voice before God tonight. All over this room, just lift up your prayer to the living God. Almighty God, we honor you tonight and we give you thanks. God, we thank you because in the past, when we've called upon you, even through our frailty, we didn't know how to pray. We didn't have all the right words or even understand all of it, but we were heard by you and you gave us strength in the spirit, strength in our soul. So tonight again we come, Lord, with that assurance in our heart that you hear us, you answer that your answer is always timely and that your answer comes to the spirit of man to bring a restoration of our spirit, a renewal, a revival of our soul, of our inner man. That we might be made like Christ. Yes, Lord. Come on, just call upon him tonight. 